We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of Big Blue Banter here with your hosts, Dan Schneier and Nick Turchin, to give you the latest news on the New York Giants to break down different offensive and defensive concepts we think we'll see during the 2018 season and eventually break down the concepts we actually are seeing. In addition to a lot of other things, Bruce just played us in. I was trying to rally and lobby Nick to get a little bit of Allman Brothers action, a little bit of maybe... Maybe some Stevie Ray Vaughan action leading us in, but I can go with Bruce. I'm from New Jersey, so I like it. Um, how you doing today, Nick? Pretty good, pretty good. Ready to go here. Good, good, good. Nick wants to cut right to the chase. I get it. He's a football <laughs> guy. Not interested in talking classic rock right now, and that's okay because from the first show, it sounds like you guys like what we were talking about. Again, if you like our stuff, you can obviously follow us on Twitter. Send us your feedback there. Write your feedback in the reviews, in the comment section on iTunes for our podcast, Big Blue Banter. And we can take what we hear from you and apply it to the next shows. Um, but we're going to jump right in today. We're going to talk about some recent transactions, some potential transactions for the New York Giants. So we're going to start with the signing of Russell Shepard, the wide receiver, former Panther, special teams ace. What do you see from Shepard, Nick? And just keep in mind, he's already been operating in OTAs as one of the punt returners, mixing in with the wide receiver groups. What do you think the Giants fans can expect from Shepard during the 2018 season with the Giants? Yeah, you know, I think he's a uh, he's a pretty good, tough receiver for his size. Uh, you know, initially, I think everyone wants to, when we see signings in the offseason, you want to see like these perfect fits for the for the areas that the Giants maybe lack or need help in. And so this isn't one where they necessarily need a lot of help in in this D wide receiver, the slot wide receiver position, but it's one that Shepard runs really well. He's very tough for his size, like I said, really good functional strength. Okay speed, not amazing speed, but good speed. 
Uh, good acceleration, especially when getting north. Uh, makes really good plays to to his left. Whenever he moves to his left, I found he was like very strong. Really good plant steps off on his on his left side. Um, he's used it last year. He was used in smoke screens a lot in Carolina, which was actually part of uh, RPOs down there. Uh, they're attached to runs down there often to kind of keep the defense at bay. But that threat is real for him to run from that screen position. Uh, like I said, likes to get north, not shy of contact at all. Uh, is not afraid to make tough catches over the middle from um, slot position. Uh, you know, really good at at kind of find is weaving his way through traffic there. One of the bigger things of well, what can he do is can he block? And that's something that for me, it, he definitely checked that box, was used multiple times in outside zone with uh, in pin pull concepts as the pinner, which is kind of a key position, pinning that defensive end into the inside as the play goes to the outside. Uh, and he really he had a lot of fight. He had, he had a good motor. He's a guy who wants to play. He was a guy who back in, I guess, in 12, he was recruited partially as a defensive back uh, coming out of college. So has that football sense about him. Um, you know, real quickly, what does he struggle with? He struggles with drops. I think he struggles with a bit of hand of a, of a hands issue where when Cam Newton was throwing uh, throwing him some fastballs kind of right in his face, he had some some not lazy drops, just drops where you know his hands aren't that great. And a lot of the, some of his receptions, you saw the ball go through his hands and hit his body as well. So certainly kind of not that OB, not that uh, Odell like hands uh, for, per se, but. Uh, but but nevertheless, did make some tough catches for Carolina. Kind of had a better stint um, in Tampa Bay. And for and for me, projecting him here, I think that he can be kind of a good fourth, a third or fourth wide receiver that can play all over the place. I don't think he's necessarily going to play from X, but he can play for Z or the slot very very easily and can be used in in a wide range of play action schemes um, as a blocker as well. Yes, and for those who don't know, uh, I hooked up with Nick on Twitter when I found his work. Turch's tits, tidbits and at IT inside the pylon. Nick loves breaking down the game tape. He loves watching the film. So I asked him to take a look at Shepard before today's show because Shepard's a guy who intrigues me. Not only has Dave Gettleman got an inside look and a closer look at him after, you know, he was with the Carolina Panthers last offseason, up until last offseason as a general manager. But more importantly for me, Mike Shula, who was the Panthers offensive coordinator last season and who's now the Giants offensive coordinator, also must have seen something he likes because they signed Shepard in the middle of the offseason. And remember, Sterling Shepard, uh, and we're going to probably confuse those and get get those mixed up all the time on the show. Two Shepherds, never a great thing, but we'll roll on past that. Remember, though, Sterling Shepard spoke after yesterday's practice, after Tuesday's OTA practice, the fourth overall OTA practice full, with the full team, with the veterans and the rookies. And he said, listen, I'm going to play a lot more outside wide receiver this season because that's what I'm doing so far in OTAs, and I have confidence that I can do it. Meanwhile, we're talking about Sterling Shepard, who has played 90% of his snaps in the slot since entering the NFL and has had 90% of his receiving yards in the slot since entering the NFL. But at the same time, Shepard feels like he can play the outside position. He feels like he showed that on tape after the injuries last season to some of the other receivers on the depth chart when he was asked to play a little bit more outside. And if he does... transition to that role, we might see some three-receiver sets when they go to 11 personnel with Sterling Shepard on the outside and Russell Shepard in the slot. As Nick just broke down, Russell Shepard can play the slot, can play the inside. He can also play the flanker position, the Z position uh, on the right hash, on the right boundary, something we'll we'll probably see a little bit of a mix between Sterling, Russell Shepard, Cody Lattimore, and even Hunter Sharp 
two guys in in the latter two, uh, Latimer and Sh- Latimer and Sharp, who have been seeing first team reps with Eli Manning in the offense during OTAs so far. Um, so there's a lot of options at that wide receiver position, and that's what intrigues me the most. Um, but moving on a little bit from Russell Shepard, I want to talk about a perspective signing for the Giants and a guy who caught a lot of steam this week after he was released from the Philadelphia Eagles. That's linebacker Michael Kendricks. A lot of people rushed to say, hey, listen, Kendricks wasn't a fit in that Eagles 4-3 defense uh, with Jim Schwartz up there in Philadelphia. But what about in James Betcher's 3-4 scheme? Do you think he's a potential fit for the Giants situation right now? Um, And after that, I'll kind of dive into my take on it and in relation to the salary cap. But just from a pure schematic standpoint what do you think about the potential fit for Michael Kendricks with the Giants Nick uh yeah sure you know Kendricks is a he's he's a linebacker's linebacker almost in the sense that he wants to get downhill really athletic guy very good closing speed good shedding ability of blockers uh but he did he did very well last season in the run game I would say and you know really had outstanding games in the playoffs um I will say though I don't really see the schematic fit if you want to throw him on the stacked and the stacked linebacker position for the Giants next to Alec Ogletree. Uh, I think he lacks in a couple areas. Number one, I would say play recognition. And this is a guy that was taken in the second round and is a, like I said, very good athletic specimen. But he never really embraced taking over the mic role in Philadelphia. And I'm not even really sure if that was on the table for him, but he always was someone who was kind of receiving orders versus being proactive and getting downhill and, and seeing those, that kind of recognition transfer into play speed. Uh, so for, for me, I saw a fair amount of plays where he, he you, he's showing hesitation. Uh, also in coverage, and this is the more important factor for the, for the, the giant scheme that Betcher wants to run for those two inside linebackers that we're talking about. He, he, he lost his assignment, um, in, in a fair amount of cases last year, uh, both man in zone. Um, I would say particularly matchup, uh, you know, he really, he, especially in the Rams game, he had a couple of like basically blown assignments and, you know, that's not what. What Betcher wants is, is a little closer to what to uh, Alec Ogochi's partner last year in uh, Los Angeles, Mark Barron, what he was, which is which is like an ex-safety versatile type role that can play all over the fa- the, the 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 form the defensive formation and really get after guys in coverage and and be that piece that can go both ways and almost be like a uh, kind of how B.J. Goodson described it, like another Mike on the field and. Just to transfer to Goodson, it's what's what's interesting. Why I think, you know, why I think um, Kendrick isn't so much a fit. That Goodson really is a fit for what he's doing right now. You know, Goodson being a fourth rounder, he doesn't have all the tools, and he doesn't have. He's not an amazing player, but he, in my opinion, he shows more versatility to do both things pretty well versus standing out once one way or the other. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that makes total sense to me. And when I was kind of breaking it down and looking into the potential fit, I really took a look at Kendrick's game. And it's been trending a little bit downward in pass coverage every season uh, since his breakout 2014 season. You talked about some missed assignments. At this point, I think he's a little bit more name than game, personally. Uh, He's been in the league now for six seasons. Not not an overly old player or anything like that. Not too much trend on his tires. But some some serious injuries that he's dealt with over time was limited to – you know, 272 snaps in 2016, only 638 snaps in 2015. 
um, you know, and only played really 725 snaps last season, was kind of a bit player there. So when you really look at if he fits in the Giants structure of the roster, you got to think, well, what does that mean for B.J. Goodson, a guy who's been flying around during OTAs, a guy who has transitioned very well to this defense. Remember, we're talking about a guy who at Clemson earned really, really good pass coverage grades from Pro Football Focus during their college game charting. And we're also talking about a guy who, you know, has stood out so far in OTAs. He intercepted Eli Manning in one of the practices, has really looked good and been all over the field. He hasn't hasn't been able to keep up with Saquon Barkley, but you know what? Not many people have so far in that Giants linebacker corps and coverage. So just from the schematic fit standpoint, it's a little bit of a question mark. But then when you think about what Michael Kendricks is probably looking for on the market from a salary standpoint, you wonder, how is it even possible for the Giants to fit him in? The Giants currently have just over $8 million in salary cap space. And last year's number two pick overall, Mitchell Trubisky, uh, had a cap hit just over $5 million last season. And they still haven't signed Saquon Barkley, who will probably most likely have a similar cap hit this season. So when you really look at it and you break it down, there's no real space in the salary cap situation for uh, a guy like Kendrick. So I really think it's uh, it's a situation where the Giants are not going to look into signing him. He's made visits with the Vikings so far. He's he's moving on to the Raiders, and I think he has a, another one scheduled with the Browns. I wouldn't look forward to the Giants signing him, but we're going to transition a little bit right now and take a look at our positional focus for this week. We're going to try to do this every week, at least uh, during the offseason. And so far, I wanted to focus today on the deep safety position with Landon Collins sideline. He's probably going to step right back into one of the safety roles, but that other safety position, that deep free safety uh, position, if you will, has had a really heavy rotation so far throughout OTAs. You know, guys like Andrew Adams, who was probably the Giants' best coverage safety last season, at least according to pro football focus, um, even though he also struggled with missed tackles in addition to Darian Thompson, has seen some reps. Darian Thompson seen some reps, a guy who looked better his rookie season than last year. Michael Thomas, the free agent who's played mostly special teams for the Dolphins, is mixing in. Curtis Riley, you know, a a unknown kind of unheralded guy they signed in free agency who was expected mostly to contribute on special teams has also actually seen some first team reps as well. And then Sean Chandler, who's a sleeper position. I wanted to know what you think makes this deep safety role so unique and different in better scheme, or maybe if, you know, there were other reasons for why we saw so much single high last season with the Cardinals. And maybe that will differ this season for the giants. Yeah, I think, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a couple of different things. You know, whenever you see a, a non-intact coaching staff, you know, where there's, there's new coaches in, uh, you look to the previous uh, defenses that they had and you look for the, you know, for them, for that defense to have the similar type players that the previous defense had. And to be honest, uh, Antoine Bethea as a deep safety was just such a ridiculous ball hawk with really great range. Uh, I think, Many people are going to look to, to replicate that right away, and it just simply doesn't happen like that. I'm not sure who's going to come out on top of this race. Uh, what I think is a little interesting is guys like Darian Thompson being able to play really play, play well um, excuse me, around the line of scrimmage, and he kind of flashed in many, uh, in many run plays, actually, uh, in terms of good closing skills and actually good, good finishing skills. Um, I'm wondering if they end up – kind of keeping everyone in the rotation, not really sure who ends up winning it, and then having guys like Thompson around for depth or for big nickel when they want to play uh, nickel, with big nickel being three safeties versus just two. Uh, so I think that's where – actually, I think that's where Thompson may end up. Yeah, and that's an interesting thought because because Nick mentions Antoine Bethea, a guy who's playing that deep safety role with the Cardinals last season and did a hell of a job in it. But do the Giants have a player like that? And if they don't, do they – 
you know, curtail the scheme because James Betcher, listen, we're not dealing with the Ben McAdoo days. And I know we're, I'm talking about Ben McAdoo with an offensive mind, designing <laughs> right. an offense. We're not dealing with coaching staff that is going to is going to fail to curtail the scheme to the players and talent around him. There's no rigid schemes here. The it's an ever changing scheme. And you know, if you have a situation where okay, maybe Darren Thompson is not the best deep safety because he's not great at tackling in the open field as the last line of defense. We saw that during. 2017 season and I know a lot has been made of Thompson's struggles in 2017 but when I actually went back and rewatched the games during the season I thought he was fine in a lot of aspects in his game I thought his biggest struggles came uh came you know in that final as that final line of defense tackling in open field he was one of the leaders on the team missed tackles but as Nick alluded to he actually showed a lot of good things while working closer to the line of scrimmage um as a safety so that could be interesting to see him in some big nickel again it's not like the Giants are going to rely on the regular nickel package if William Gay, who's currently still operating as the starting slot corner, is the guy there because you really can't count on him for too many snaps, in my opinion. But one guy I think you should definitely keep an eye on is Sean Chandler. We're talking about an undrafted rookie free agent, free agent so we have to you know temper our expectations. But this is a guy who continues to make plays every single practice. His first two, In two of his first three practices, he had interceptions. He made a big play in practice uh, on Tuesday, the first of OTA of the OTA set this week, where he kind of, you know, dropped down into the line of scrimmage and batted a ball at the line of scrimmage uh, from quarterback Kyle Letty. He's still practicing with the second and third team units. Um, so he hasn't moved up the depth chart yet. But, you know, we're talking about a guy who Pro football focus, like I said, I, maybe on the last show, but I'll say it again, charted with the second highest tackling efficiency of all safeties last season uh, in this draft class, at least. So, you know, that's something the Giants need. They need better tackling in that final line of defense. So I'd keep an eye on him. But we're actually going to make, make a transition because I know a lot of people love this about our first show when Nick broke, broke down the smash route concept on offense that we're going to see uh, from Pat Shermer this season. And I wanted to throw it to Nick so he can kind of focus on another, on a different offensive concept this week. Yeah, you know, this week I picked uh, I picked the scissors concept, one of my one of my uh... – one of the better ones from last year that you saw a bunch from Shermer. It's really two receivers to the same side of the field can be out of any personnel set could involve a tight end and a wide receiver, two wide receivers, um, or I guess in theory, a tight end and a running back to that side, if they had the running back in the line of scrimmage uh, optioned out. But anyway, the outer wide receiver uh, usually runs a deep post that goes about 12 to 14 yards downfield. The inner wide receiver uh, runs a corner or deep route, a deep out route, about 12 to 14 yards down the field. So if you can envision that for a little bit, they are running with like a pretty good go for that for, for 14 yards. So it, it does take a bit of time for this route to develop. It's not a quick hitter at all. Um, and then so basically there are two routes crisscross with usually the outer wide receiver breaking first, but not always. Uh, Shermer liked to run it where they were actually pretty symmetric almost in the, in the angles that they were taking. Um, and basically... You're, you're kind of supposed to hit the post if it's cover four, putting that deep, or cover four, which is quarters coverage, putting that deep safety kind of in a, in conflict. If it's cover three, you tend to see the out route hit. And if it's man, it kind of depends on the release coming out of it. Uh, again, the Eagles, you see a lot of teams run this. The Eagles run it at all different kind of variations with different angles for the post and and the uh, and the out route and, and how far downfield they go as well. So something that's kind of versatile, you can kind of change it up a bit. Uh, Bill Walsh in the 80s and 90s is actually kind of cool. I was just looking at uh, his winning, uh, finding the winning edge, the Bible, and uh, was seeing how he ran it. He ran it to target cover two, where the tight end, the flanker, were very tight to the line of scrimmage, and they run that same idea, just targeting that deep safety 
uh, right around the hashes. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, you saw it run with pretty good success from Shermer. Case Keenum had a good example last year, throwing a touchdown pass. I believe it was to the flanker at that point, uh, running, if I can remember correctly, running the post. And just something that is a good intermediate route, again, since it takes a little bit of time, not something you'll see a, a bunch of, but a good intermediate route uh, to be used in the red zone and to get that ball down the field. And takes a, takes a bit of pressure off of Eli uh, in terms of, Basically, you can use that route concept on one side of the field and have another check to the other side of the field. And it, in my opinion, it makes his, his routes, uh, his, his, sorry, his reads much, much simpler. Right. And you bring up a great a couple great points there, Nick. The first one you talked about on the last show, which is kind of just simplifying Eli Manning's read, something that we're going to hope to see the Giants get back to this season. And at the same time, you also talk about how this route kind of targets the areas of the field where I still think Eli Manning is really that really best fit his skill set, if you will. I mean, those those intermediate out routes and those intermediate deep ins were kind of the exact type of routes that really worked so well under Kevin Gilbride in the old offense. Now that old run and shoot style offense, the Giants is going to be a lot different than what we see from Pat Shermer. Um, but some of the concept play action passing game, taking advantage of the intermediate deep routes are going to be similar, I think, to what we saw in Gilbride's offense. And you can kind of uh, stop me there if I'm wrong, but if not, no, let me keep. That makes no. That's that, that's exactly right. And and the way he started just to, to take it further, the way he throws his ball is kind of a type two or type three, meaning it has a fair amount of arc in it. And these types of routes give him that give him that ability where it doesn't have to be a fastball 25 yards down the field with pinpoint accuracy. It's more of a read and then a feel throw, um, uh, and and something that he he he's, he was very strong at in that offense as well. Exactly. And then if you look at it and you think about, well, okay, what were the things that went wrong with the Gilbride offense? Well, there were too many reads. There were too many option routes for the wide receivers. And when, you know, the wide receiver depth chart started to go down, Eli Manning's chemistry with his with the remaining receivers was questionable because they neither receiver nor quarterback knew what route uh, the uh, what option on the route each receiver is taking. That's not going to be the case. As Nick kind of just broke down, they're going to be more defined reads. And he mentioned something I thought was interesting when you look at what we've seen the past few days at OTAs. And he said, you know, this, this, this scissors route concept can be run with a running back split out to the slot. Well, what have we seen in the last few OTA practices? Saquon Barkley split out to the, uh, sorry, split out to the slot, working as a wide receiver, something he's been working on individually with Odell Beckham at practice with the team. Now you tell me you motion out Barkley onto the same side as Odell Beckham Jr. and you have the defense focusing their attention there with Evan Ingram, Rhett Ellison, guys like Sterling Shepard lined up on the opposite side of the field. And that looks seems like a, Interesting mismatch to me, so I definitely keep an eye on that. Anything else you wanted to touch on uh, as far as the scissors route concept, or anything else with regards to that? Uh, no, I think uh, I think that about covers it. Wait till wait till wait till they run it, then we'll break it down more. Right, of course. And did you just one quick question, last question on this? Did you ever see them run this maybe with McKinnon last season, or with Dalvin Cook, or even Latavius Murray? That's a good point. That's a good question. And offhand. No, I can't remember. Most of McKinnon stuff was either short outbreaking or or kind of coming over the middle from what I can recall. But it's one of those things where, you know, it's all in the eye in the sky never lies and it's all in the grind. So it's another good angle to look at when I go back and uh, continuously study. No doubt. And I mean, again, we're not talking about the Giants using this concept with Barkley split out wide all the time. It would be more of a 
uh, an every once in a while type thing to kind of keep the defense off guard and throw, throw a wrinkle in that they haven't seen. Remember, Barkley hasn't really run that many routes out of the wide receiver position in college. I think I saw Pro Football Focus recently tweeted he ran about 24 routes last season out of the slot and boundary combined. So just something to keep an eye on in case they try it out there. Um, as we shift a little bit from there, I wanted to do a quick recap just of what we've seen in OTAs. Remember, we're, there's another set of OTAs going on this week. It's the second set with the full team, rookies and veterans. We've had, this is now the fourth total set of OTAs. There will be one more next week. And then from June 12th to June 14th, there will be the mandatory mini camp where every veteran, every rookie is expected to be in attendance. And there's a six week break before training camp. But just wanted to catch everybody up on some of the things I've noticed recently uh, in OTAs that have really jumped out to me. I wanted to start with John Jalapio's Rise Up the Depth Chart, and I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. Um, this is how new he is to the team. He joined the, the team last season, um, really stood out to general manager Dave Gettleman for his week 17 performance, Giants versus Redskins, where the Giants ran the ball for 260 yards on the ground. Jalapio helped was basically delivered the key block to help spring Orleans Dark was 75-yard touchdown run, graded out really well from pro football focus, caught Gettleman's attention as a run blocker in that game at right guard, started offseason OTAs as the first-team right guard. Since the team has drafted uh, Will Hernandez, the Giants have kind of flipped the script a little bit with Jalapio, and now he's actually mixing in and taking first-team reps at the center position. So the Giants have really rolled out two separate offensive line groupings during the past two weeks of OTAs. Both offensive line groupings have left tackle Nate Solder, right tackle Eric Flowers. There have been no changes there, but the first grouping, and there really is no first or second grouping. They're pretty much splitting reps. But one grouping has Will Hernandez at left guard, Patrick Omeme, the free agent signing from the Jaguars at right guard, and then John Jalapio at center. The other grouping has uh, Patrick Omeme at left guard, uh, Brett Jones, the center, starting center who replaced the Western Richburg last season at center. And then at right guard, uh, they've got, um, I'm sorry, John Greco, who's playing right guard. So to me, when I look at this, I'm intrigued by that, that, that first unit I brought up because in the end, I don't see too many scenarios playing out where Will Hernandez is not the starting left guard in week one. Um, so if you really look at it like that, this is the time for these offensive lines to build chemistry playing together to really get down, you know, a nice, you know, a nice rapport with each other and they're blocking. So if that line is consists of what I expect to be the starting left tackle in Nate Solder, the starting left guard in Will Hernandez, the starting right guard in Patrick O'Meyman and the starting right tackle in Eric Flowers. Well, now I'm looking at who's the last, if there's four starters on that line, who's the last starter. And that's Halapio in the run game. And as well as Brett Jones did as a pass blocker, uh, in twenty set in twenty seventeen with the Giants, you know he's still a bit under he's still very undersized for the position and a, more of a finesse blocker than a power blocker and more of a the old style of Giants offensive lineman. John Greco's a guy who's a really good run blocker. It's somebody who's a nasty player at the pivot. So that's something I'm keeping an eye on. Have you seen anything? Uh, and I'm not don't mean to put you on the spot here if you haven't had a chance to. There's not really much on either, but uh, or especially Jalapio. Do you what do you think? Have you seen anything uh, with regards to Jalapio and Jones at the center position, or maybe some things you saw from Pat Elfine, you know, the Viking center last season that make you think one of these guys is a better fit for the center position in Shermer's offense than the other? Uh, you know, I think that's a that's a tougher one with Elfine because he's so unique and 
kind of his athletic ability being an ex-wrestler uh, to kind of do many things in the center position. And I have not gotten a chance to break down Jalapio. I, Jalapios, I think that that's a really good point, though, in terms of his week 17 per uh, his week 17, um, uh, basically production last year, if you want to call it that for alignment. Uh, so, so nothing really other than I think that they want to have three to four interior linemen that can do, that can pull effectively. And you mentioned that. So I think they want to have that. I think it's kind of okay, especially in a first year with a, with a new offensive line coach. That's the other thing we have to remember. I think that's a big reason why they're splitting reps so evenly is because, you know, you want to talk about no one knows anyone, like if no one really has really worked together at all. So it's going to take a little while to sort this thing out. And, and it certainly did for Pat Shermer last year with, um, with Tony Sperano, his offensive line coach, who's a great offensive line coach and such a big reason for the success up there uh, last year. And so it took him a couple weeks to figure it out. Um, you know, so I think that it, during the regular season, I'm saying in terms of actual production on the field. So I think that you're going to see a lot of that um, as we go forward here. And there's probably going to be some moves in the depth chart that maybe don't make a lot of sense right now, but it's all a big process to get to that, that end goal of week one. Right. And you bring up a good point with new offensive line coach Hal Hunter, a guy who in his past has coached John Greco, who, again, is seeing first team reps, one of those units. So you really look at how this offensive line is shaking out right now. They're going to keep eight guys. We know that. I really think that seven guys have really stood out and started to separate themselves. It's early. It's early. It's OTAs. Things are going to change in training camp. We're going to see a lot more. But you look at it, Greco, a guy who has a pass with Hal Hunter, a guy who Dave Gettleman also said he liked his game tape for, of uh, in week 17 as the left guard there. You look at a guy like Jalapio, also seen first team reps, also got the praise from Dave Gettleman. You got those two guys, and then and then uh, Solder, uh, Flowers, uh, Omeme, Hernandez, and Jones. And that's seven guys right there. They're going to keep eight. They're going to probably use that eighth spot on a swing tackle. Um, well, I'm not even positive it's still on the roster. I know Wheeler's competing, but... I have not been as impressed with Chad Wheeler, at least not uh, from what I saw last season as others are. So that's something to keep an eye on. The offensive line is definitely going to be the offseason. I wanted to also touch on some other interesting things I've noticed in OTAs. Kareem Martin versus Lorenzo Carter for that starting left outside linebacker position. Martin's still holding it down for now, at least. Um, And although I thought maybe they would kind of transition him back to that five tech if Carter can step up and play. And I still think that's on the table. There have been some interesting developments at the five technique position in the recent OTA practice from Tuesday that I'll get to in a minute. But Martin is a guy who I still think is going to be better fit for a, a more of a sub package type player, a guy who, who kind of rotates in on certain dines, downs at the outside linebacker position. Remember, he's six foot six, 280. And there was a play in practice from Tuesday that I didn't get to see, but I, I wonder if it was that smash route concept we talked about in the last show, Nick, um, where Evan Ingram beat him, beat him uh, in man coverage, uh, Martin, on a deep route down the right sideline, and Eli Manning kind of perfectly dropped the ball in and hit him in stride for a touchdown. So I wonder if they used that concept on that play. That's something interesting. But it was a vertical play for Ingram, who's obviously 240 and runs a 441. Not Not a great matchup for the 280-pound linebacker. But then you got a guy like Carter – who's 250 pounds, uh, ran an official 4.5 and an unofficial 4.46 40-yard dash, one of, the, one of the best athletes, I think, on the roster. So it'll be interesting to see what happens at that outside linebacker position, especially when you consider that during Tuesday's practice, B.J. Hill, a guy who we both gushed about on the last podcast, a guy we really like, 
was actually lined up with next to Damon Harrison and alongside Dalvin Tomlinson as the starting five technique. What do you make of that, Nick? Huh. Uh, that's interesting. And again, just so guys know, I love listening to Dan just because he gets he, he keeps me up on the team for stuff that I'm not seeing or my 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 head is literally in the film all day. So this stuff is great. I think that it, first of all, it makes a lot of sense. Well, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It, Hill is very versatile. And he shows a, a really good amount of athletic ability. So that doesn't totally surprise me. The other thing it kind of says to me is, hey, like he's he is a leader and he's a type of guy who's flexible and, and is gonna be willing to play where people where people recruit his coaches want him to play. And you know, we know Tomlinson's a really solid three tech. I mean, watching tape there, he's he, he doesn't flash as some of the some of the some of the other guys do, do in the league that are really, really good. But it's it's if you want to crack the 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 starting for or, or contribute in a very, very significant manner, being there, you know, basically substitute for different packages is, is only one way to do it. And I think that Hill is that type of guy with that mindset where he could totally take on the five tech role. And especially within on early downs where Betcher may will, will, will be featuring more base uh, defensive personnel to, you know, to offensive personnel with two tight ends, with two running backs, with that type of thing, where it's it's a little bit more obvious run position, run, run situations. Um, so it doesn't really surprise me, but it's something where it's, it's just, it, Hill's a guy you want on your team, the bottom line for me. <laughs> yeah, I think he's definitely a guy you want in that lineup as much as you can get him. And it's really interesting to me because the Giants run defense fell off during the 2017 season. You know, they were easily beat sideline to sideline. They didn't have the speed at the linebacker position. Um, and, you know, there was some drop off from, from the ends, even in the run defense game, Olivier Vernon and Jason Pierre pause, they played through injuries, but I really think the run defense for the giants has the biggest chance to take the biggest leap forward in 2018. You're talking about a defensive line that could feature Harrison, BJ Hill and Dalvin Tomlinson as a three down lineman with potentially Kareem Martin setting one edge, Olivier Vernon setting the other BJ Goodson there in the middle, Landon Collins, who's, has the most run stops of any safety since 2016 coming down. You have a really, really good run defense that could force defense uh, opposing offenses, I should say, to become one-dimensional. And again, remember, that's kind of how the Giants' defense in 2016 became one of the elite defenses by the end of that season. It wasn't necessarily the pressure and the pass rush. They still weren't getting that much pressure in the passing game. They had they had to use uh, unique design blitzes to get their pressure. Um, you know, And as we talked about on the last podcast, that there will be less of that under Betcher, but there will be a lot of blitzing. He, like we said, he was top three in blitz percentage in each of the last three seasons. It'll be different kinds of blitzes, like we talked about the A gap blitzes and whatnot. But again, you have it if you have a run defense that can force offenses to become one dimensional, it makes things a lot easier. And a few more points I wanted to touch on before we move on, and that's the wide receiver position still very, very fluid. Roger Lewis has been working with the second team, but he's been making the most plays. Uh, with that second-team offense, and Davis Webb, who looks great in practice. Um, and Hunter Sharp has still been working with the first-team offense, a guy they got from the Broncos last season. And then lastly, Cody Latimer. Those three guys have kind of been moving in and out at that wide receiver position with Odell Beckham gone. So that's something to keep an eye on. Obviously, Davis Webb has looked great in practice. We've seen it. We see it over and over again, but that's never been the issue for Webb. We know he can throw the football with no live blitzing, but can Webb improve? on that in live game action. I know a lot of you asked us to take a look back at Webb's game action against the Patriots, but, but uh, in the preseason finale in week four, the pre or week five of the preseason, I should say, I know there's five weeks now, but when we did that, I actually had Nick do that because I wanted to see what he thought. And then I did it. My, and then I took a look myself. Um, he probably had a in, in more in-depth look, but 
Nick, you didn't have too, you didn't have any any glaring takeaways, right? There wasn't there just wasn't enough to go off of. Yeah, that preseason game that we're guys mentioned from last year playing the Pats. Uh, you know, he did orchestrate a game. It was a game winning field goal, right? Yep, yeah, game winning field goal. Yeah, down at the end. You know, he he was playing against very you know backup players for New England's defense, and he ran a two minute drill pretty successfully, throwing a couple quick out routes, stick routes, that type of thing, like. It just wasn't much other than what he can do with a live arm against a defense that, again, the Patriots are never going to sit back and like a prevent, but they're playing a softer zone, bottom line. And um, so it, it, there just isn't a lot of tape yet. And more importantly, um, there isn't a lot of tape or there's no tape with him in this scheme. And that is not to say that he cannot run Pat Shermer's scheme. It's just without a direct comparison – or not direct comparison, without a comparison that's, even, that's even close to where it should be. He was an air raid quarterback coming out of college. It's just not it, It's just not fair one way or the other. We do know, and everyone knows, that the guy can throw a nine route. Like He probably throws like the best nine route of any backup quarterback, and that means a go route down the field. I mean, with effortless ease, he does that. And and so that's that skill set's there. That trait is there. But everything else, I think, is kind of – you know, is something where he's working. He's working. He's certainly working his ass off on, but we we just have to see it in actual in actual tape. Right, and you bring up a great point there, Nick, because you know a lot of these highlights from these practices, and he has been one of the standout players in all these practices, is him throwing that nine route, that go route again with no pressure, no no pads, no live hitting. So I don't think it's really teaching us or telling us anything more than we already know there. And again, like Nick said, for those who don't know, the air raid offense he's talking about is one of the biggest reasons I was skeptical of Webb when I watched his tape at Cal. And I don't have the same eye for watching tape as Nick, but I can I can see what I can see. Uh, and, you know, working in that within that offense, and this is a similar offense to what, you know, Baker Mayfield ran at Oklahoma, not exactly the same, but uh, similar to, you know, kind of what Bryce Petty ran out of Baylor when, when he put up some big stats and people got a little bit excited about him. But we're talking about an offensive scheme that takes away half the field. Correct me if I'm wrong, Nick, and really takes and doesn't really require the quarterback to make full progression on his reads. Um, so this is just nothing like what he'll be running in Pat Schirmer's offense. So I still think we have a long way to go there on Davis Webb. Um, and before we transition to a little bit of a, mand- uh, a mandatory minicamp preview real quick, we're going to – I want to ask Nick what he thinks about one specific aspect of what I think we could see in the Giants' offense in 2018, and that's the use of the fullback position because we've seen it a lot in OTAs. Shane Smith seeing a lot of first-team action as the fullback. They're using Rhett Ellison a little bit there. So a couple questions there, Nick. Did, what did you see from re-watching Pat Shermer's game tape with – the Vikings last season as offensive coordinator uh, and how he uses the fullback position and how you might see the Giants using it in 2018. Sure. Yeah. Uh, He, he runs a lot of, he ran a fair amount of 21, 22 personnel. That, that means two running backs. And one of the two running backs uh, or the fullback of the two running backs was CJ Ham. CJ Ham is a good, I want to say a good blocker. I don't think he's an unbelievable fullback. I think that the, the word under the term unbelievable fullback probably doesn't make a lot of sense in today's NFL. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, a guy who's pretty versatile, a guy who can make play, make make catches out of the backfield pretty easily. He he did get some of those type of type of calls for him uh, dialed up on third down, you know, after play action kind of leaking out to one side. Uh, they ran uh, – Shermer loved to run uh, outside zone with fullback lead last year. So just to cut back to the run, he, he – he, Pam showed the ability to be flexible, but I don't think it's – I don't – I'm not sure how they're going to want to use the, the fullback this year running probably a bit more power. So they may actually want more of a bona fide, bo- a bona fide blocker. Um, 
you know, I think that who was the guy that they got from the uh, that they signed up from the Vikings that Shermer had worked with at the tight end position? I thought they were going to work him in a little bit more. Talking about Kyle Kite, uh, Kyle Carter, former Carter. Yeah, yeah. Did, has that happened at all or no? So he's not. He hasn't worked in too much with the first team offense just yet. Um, but you know, it's still very early on in the process. Got it. Okay, so you know, for I think that he's gonna he's gonna want someone that I, I guess the best way for me to say it is is not dominant blocking wise but is more versatile in where he can move than after the fact. Um, and, you know, I, I, I don't know. I guess the other part of this would be how much did Barkley use and have a fullback in college. And if I remember, not a ton. He did run a little bit, but not a ton, right? Very, very rarely. They ran mostly yeah. that read-react offense out of the shotgun. Yeah, so for I think that he – I think, honestly, I think it would come down to his preference. You know, when you have a back that gets lathered up the right way and wants to go with a with a fullback leading, you know, in a, in a gap specifically for man scheme or outside or inside in zone, you know, I think that's what he's going to get. But for, for this, it's, it, it may not be the case. And you may see it more of, as a specialization formation where, you know, the fullback is asked to do more than just block. Interesting. So that'll be something to keep an eye on as we move through the rest of the offseason. At the very least, the fullback position will finally be making at least somewhat of a return to the Giants offense um, in 2018, whether that be Rhett Ellison used in a similar role or Kyle Carter or Rhett Ellison used in a similar role to how Pat Shermer used the fullback last season or in a more traditional role of Shane Smith. That remains to be seen. Um, remember, guys, as we move through the offseason, we have one more set of OTAs next week and then the mandatory mini camp. Uh, June 12th through June 14th. Me and Nick will be doing a mandatory minicamp preview uh, right before that starts up on June 12th, and I don't want to really give away too much there. So I will just say it should be a very interesting show. We're going to dive into all the best position battles and matchups, take a look at some of the game tape from 2017 and even past prior years to see really how it could impact these position battles going forward. But for now, that's actually going to be all the time we have for today. We're going to wrap this up now. I just wanted to thank every listener again for tuning in. Um, it really means a lot to us to help us grow the show with you guys. And just one shameless plug for me today, and then I'm going to throw it back to Nick so you guys can know where to follow him. And that's it. That's if you do enjoy this show. And if you did enjoy the show today and in the past, please, please do us a favor, subscribe on iTunes, download the show, Rate us. You can give us five stars or less. I don't care. I hope it's five stars if you liked it. And then just write a quick one or two sentence review to help us move the podcast up the iTunes algorithm, which uh, for, for the layman term just means help us get more viewers and help us grow the show. So you can find all my work as usual um, on Twitter at Dan Schneier NFL. This time I'm going to spell it correctly. It's D-A-N-S-C-H-N-E-I-E-R NFL on Twitter. You can find all my work on Giants on 24-7 Sports. So that's just 247sports.com slash new-york-giants. And as usual, you can also follow our Facebook page at 247sports where we will be delivering a lot of the contact. Just type in content. Just type in Giants on 247sports. Nick, where can we find all of your work again? Yeah, sure. Uh, so uh, Team Manic 21 on Twitter. Also my website, churchtidbits.com. Have my past posts from um, many different sources up there, as well as a video, uh, a video, um, a YouTube, my YouTube channel that I've been doing for a book preview series for football for the off season. If anyone wants to check that out, that'd be great. My, my bulk of my work is found at InsideThePylon.com, uh, where I've been writing since January, actually. 
And uh, also for the for the iTunes reviews, anyone who wants to ask a question um, in there, I'll certainly answer. I'll certainly try to answer it either there or on the podcast here. So you know, again, anywhere you want to ask a question, we're definitely up for the two way feedback. Any kind of critiques you have, or if I'm basically wrong, love it when I'm wrong because then you get to learn. And uh, so we'd love to have that and kind of kind of go from there. Yeah, for sure. And I do promise that if you continue to listen to us, at some point we will spell our Twitter handles correctly. <laughs> yeah, <right>. uh, <laughs> but but anyway, guys, thanks, guys and girls. Thanks again for tuning in to Big Blue Banter, Episode 2. The, this podcast will ramp up, obviously, as we get into training camp. But you can look forward to, in a, in a, in a few days from now, a mandatory mini camp preview podcast that me and Nick are really excited to get into. So on that note, uh, have a good day. And like I said, I always end these the same way. Go Giants. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.